0: This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on.
1: One of the strongest skills that a professional can have is to step outside of yourself and look at yourself as a product. And so sometimes you have to do R&D on yourself. Sometimes you have to do a focus group. And sometimes then you have to take the information from that focus group and go, that's cool that you think that, but nah, I'm going to stick with this model right now.
0: I'm your host, KC Finney, and this is Creative Conversation, a fast company podcast. This episode goes out to all my fellow multitaskers out there because I'm talking to Wayne Brady, arguably one of the hardest working performers in show business. We're talking Broadway, TV, film, game show hosting, recording artist, improv comedian. Wayne has done it all and often simultaneously. I was really excited for this conversation because I'm definitely one for putting a lot on my plate at once with any number of projects, and sometimes I do feel like I should just focus on one thing. But for Wayne, that's never been an option. In our conversation, Wayne explains how he gave himself permission to pursue all his passions, how he actually does it all without crashing and burning, and the number one thing to remember in unlocking your creative potential. Wayne Brady, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, come on. My pleasure. I always like to start at the beginning with my guests and just get a sense of what pulled them into their craft in the first place. So for you, what sparked your interest in the performance space? Like, how did you become the Wayne Brady that we know today?
1: For me, you know, it's it's kind of a, I'm one of those people that I knew that this was what I wanted to do from... I believe the earliest time that I could recollect knowing that I wanted to do something, I couldn't put, put my finger on it Of or say, oh, I want to be on TV or, oh, I want to be on stage. I knew that I wanted to perform, that I wanted to do whatever the thing was that these people that I would watch on TV, whatever they were doing or whatever they were creating, I wanted to learn to do that thing. So I feel that even going back to when I first started playing, I would play by myself because my my grandmother. Um, I've got folks that are from the U.S. Virgin Islands, so an island upbringing is a very strict upbringing, which I loved. Not <laughs> at the time, but now I, as was a parent, I'm like, thank, thanks, thanks, mom. I never been to jail, by the way.
0: Right. <laughs> as a child of Nigerian parents, I can I can I can attest to that. I get it. I get
1: it. yes. <laughs> So so I played by myself a lot. So in that solo play, it forced me to be inventive. I would do these radio plays. I would read books that I was an avid reader. still am. That's one of my saving graces when the world is too, too crazy, is I throw myself into a book. And at the time, I would just read whatever was placed in front of me, and I would try to do all these voices. And so my dad gave me an old school, which wasn't old school at the time, but a tape recorder. So I would tape myself doing all these voices and and visualizing the stories and playing both of the parts but i didn't know that that was acting and it wasn't until my junior year in high school that i actually was able to to say oh this is the thing that i'm going to do that i could put a name to it and a voice to it and i actually wasn't ashamed because a lot of me not wanting to say it earlier was also wrapped up in shame you know the guys in my neighborhood weren't weren't really about me talking about watching PBS great performances, watching (laughs) Upstairs, Downstairs, or talking about Monty Python, or watching old black and white sketch shows with Sammy Davis Jr. or Sid Caesar or Ernie Kovacs or talking about a Sidney Poitier movie. That really wasn't the thing. So I kept a lot of that to myself.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. And, I mean, I feel like, what what was that moment like for you claiming claiming your passion in a way cuz I think I'm I'm so glad that you were able to to finally push that aside push any doubt you had any any worry of what other people would think and pursue what it is that you love but I think a lot of people do get stuck in their own head do get stuck in the perception that other people will have of them if they pursue this path so like what was it for you that like what was that feeling like what was that Moment where you were like, you know what? No, I'm just gonna go ahead and go and just and pursue this like with my full heart.
1: Wow! It I'm trying to make it concise as possible because it's actually one day when I do my one man show. Uh, oh man! <laughs> I, I really go into the whole thing, but I'll tell you in a nutshell, it was exactly like what I pictured life would be like when I first watched Fame. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> My response wasn't, oh, it's so cool to watch this sing and dancing. My response was, oh, those kids are having such a good time. What does that feel like? What does that feel like to be able to stand in your lunchroom or in the theater and sing a song? Or what, what is it like to sit down and somebody's playing the piano and you guys are dancing around? Or you can say something and not feel the weight of judgment. Mm -hmm. So when I saw, so when I actually walked into a space that was welcoming of me, that was my fame moment in my head, I truly was like, oh shit, I'm Leroy (laughs) (laughs) without the tight shorts and, and (laughs) it felt amazing. Uh, it, it felt, but, uh, you know, that answer is, is a little nuanced for, for me in the sense of, it just wasn't the fact of, um oh, I was in a space that I could perform. There were a couple layers of I'm in a space that I can perform. I'm in a space that I don't feel like there's a thumb on my back because I was also in Air Force ROTC. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, well, at least I can be in the military so I don't disappoint them um, and talk about wanting to be on stage. And, And, you know, there were very specific ideas, as you know, in the Black community in terms of, you know, arts and, and, mm-hmm. and my mom being from the islands and, and her saying, oh, oh, you, oh, you're going to jump on stage and dan- dance around like some auntie man and be like da-da-da-da, you know, so. Cut so to you in
0: kinky boots. I'm
1: <laughs> I showed her. I know. <laughs> so there's a thing of, you don't want to disappoint your parents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't want to feel that weight on your back. And in my neighborhood, I always felt this distance. I always felt a little othered Mm. being someone who, who early on, like I skipped from kindergarten to second grade, which I don't know if I would ever recommend to a parent to let them, to let that happen, no matter how bright you think your kid is because of the social aspect. Now as a parent, I get the fact that socialization happens in tears and needs to happen a certain way. Absolutely. Me and this one other kid named Artist Woodard is like these our future, these two black men, they are gifted. Y'all are not gifted. They're so gifted that we have to send them off to a all to a primarily white school. And our artist was cool. Our artists, folks still liked artists, but that was the last thing I needed was another thing on top of having this access from, from my grandma and my mom and being looked at as different anyway because of the things I liked. Now you're gonna send me to the school and tell people that that I'm different and so i didn't fit in with the kids at the elementary school there i didn't fit in with my own peoples so by the time that i'd gotten to where i was as a junior i was like you know what i am ready to just delve fully into this because i'm tired of being judged and i'm tired of feeling feeling less than and small so walking Mm -hmm. into that uh classroom um into the theater and meeting karen who is now a lifelong friend who, who was my, my, the uh, big theatrical influence that changed my existence. Mm-hmm. So that's my superhero origin story.
0: Man. And I'm telling you, it's not as uncommon as you think. Cause like wow. kindergarten through fifth grade, I went to a predominantly black school. And I feel like it, I felt that feeling of other, cause I remember kids being like, oh, you're the Oreo. Like you talk Ooh. white, you act white. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, I'm in third grade, like what? <laughs> <laughs> what does it even mean? Now as adults, we can unpack a lot of the
1: baggage and we get it was exactly. like oh, exactly. even in my own career, you know once once I started getting some someplace and once I got his line, being foisted upon the American people as networks do is like you're gonna like this person this week. <laughs> I understand now how there, there were a lot of us that were super proud to have have a brother on what what was seen as, this primarily white show it was never said said that and 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 i grew up watching who's line so to know that i could break into that space that was a biggie so for as many people that went oh that's great there we go there were just as many cats going exactly (laughs) (laughs) look at this right not thinking about all that is inside of it now i can go back and go well i get how representation wise we, we sometimes feel that the things that we want or the people that we want to hold dear as soon as, as everyone accepts them, that they're not as, as much for us. Mm. I don't agree with that thinking. I think it is small-minded, and it locks us into a certain, certain paradigm that Lord knows I've spent the past 20-odd years on TV trying to crack. But all that, all that went into that journey.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> and still goes into it, by the way. Of still, course. Yeah. Still goes into it day by day in 2021. it still, it still happens, but now I'm a vet. So I can yeah. handle
0: it. <laughs> You have the tools, you have like, you have the tool set to handle that. So many coping tools. Oh my God. I mean, you have to, you have to. And I think, you know, for you, I want to know like, what would, what were those early years like for you kind of honing your craft? Like once you really put your, put your flag on the ground and said, I want to do this. What was that like building out your your creative tool set? Like when it comes to acting, when it comes to improv, like how did you start really building that foundation to grow from?
1: Building, as soon as I hit the ground running, and here's the beautiful thing about being an outlier, because I'm gonna claim that. I am an outlier for real. I've been doing this way more than 10,000 hours. Here's <laughs> the thing. I didn't realize that I was already preparing myself. All of that play that I did in my room, all of the books that I read, especially going into now as an actor and even coaching people sometimes and and teaching improv and the philosophy behind it, you are only as good an actor as you are filled with knowledge.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Whether it be life knowledge or whether it be actual book knowledge that you've gleaned and things that you've absorbed. And I say that because you have to be a student of psychology you have to be a student of your own psychology because I have to know that if I pick up this remote control and I put it down, if I have to do a scene where I'm just picking up a remote control, I have to do it naturally. So I have to absorb those things. I have to be able to look at characters. I have to be able to look at people, especially doing comedy. I have to be able to look at someone and go, oh, I can do that guy that I saw saw in line at the grocery store because it'd be funny. So I'm going to do the hunchback and my glasses, the whole thing. So I've got to absorb those things and I've got to read a book. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that up until that point, that's what I was doing. I was taking in all this information before I even knew what it was. So by the time that I st- hit the ground officially, when I did my first play in school, I was ready. And I didn't know that I was ready, but but I was ready. In fact, I was so ready slash cocky that I went, oh, this, this is what acting is? I- I'm ready to be a professional actor. So <laughs> I auditioned for my first professional play while I was doing the school play. And I got it. I was like, oh, this acting. So now I'm doing a job. Really? What? This is it. Okay. Now, you and I know it is not like that. No. <laughs> I'm shocked. What was the play? Um, I did uh, Raisin in the Sun at, uh. Uh, the, uh, at the Edith Bush Theater in Orlando. And the oh, cool- so you weren't kidding. And the cool thing about that is that they were a community theater, but they were a community theater that gave equity contracts mm. and so. I learned very young, we're working with some amazing actors and, and, and hitting, hitting the ground and going, oh, this is what this thing is. So, so my voyage began with learning in my room and and reading and taking in everything. And then as soon as I, I hit my first play, I, I was a sponge. And that's what I would say to anyone watching. If, if this is your thing and whether you're You've been doing it a while, or whether you you uh, you're you're just starting out, I I challenge you to you have to read, you have to absorb, you have to pay attention, you have to listen, you have to be a conduit of all this information. And I'm not saying that you have to spend all all day going. I see it, I see it, I hear it, I am. <laughs> no. Just be open. Just know that you're open. And so those are the things that you're going to take with you. So once I started acting, then I'll never forget, Karen told me, she said, you want to be the most valuable person in the room. So then I was like, oh, OK, well, I need to be, be able to sing. And I'd been singing in my closet for years. No one knew I could sing until right. I auditioned for Oklahoma and I got judged. <laughs> oh, I can sing. OK, cool. Check. Then I never danced before, but I, but I was dancing along <laughs> to, to like solid gold. and and, and band bandstand and soul train. Yes. <laughs> so as soon as they said, do this thing, and I was always a good mimic. So do do this turn. All right, I'll try, try that. I'll do this thing. So check, I can dance a little bit. Then, because I could sing, I could hear voices, and so I could start doing impressions. Mm. And I could turn those into characters. So each job that I got, I was very lucky growing up in Orlando in the late 80s, early 90s, and when I started acting, because <laughs> There were lots of opportunities. I mean, that's why there's so many damn boy bands that came out of Orlando and a lot of Broadway stars because of the theme parks. So I worked at Disney. I worked at Universal. I worked uh, corporate dates for Universal and, and Disney. I was a character. I started off as Goofy and Tigger and then became a singer-dancer there and then <laughs> I did, uh, did singing, dancing shows at Universal. And I was a Ghostbuster when, when the park first opened up in the Ghostbuster show. Uh, I was a percussionist and I was a break dancer in the street crew. Um, We're talking range. This is range to go from <laughs> range, but it's also survival. Right. Oh, I'm on my own. I got a gig. Um, I have to learn to do all these things, but it's absorbing all that stuff. Cruise ships. I, I never said no to a gig because I didn't know what the gig was going to give me. Whatever they asked of me, I wanted to be able to do. And so I embodied that yes, and of the improvisational space. Mm-hmm. So I really attribute any success that I've had now in the subsequent years with everything that I did in Orlando for the first few, few years, because that set the stage. So when I hit Los Angeles, I was ready. I, I moved out here with a group of friends that we had a theater in Orlando called SAC theater. And we moved out here seven seven of us. Um, and we formed a group called the house full of honkies. <laughs> and we uh, used to do shows all around town. And we ended up at the uh, Acme Theater over on La Brea. And we had a regular run there. And that's when we became well known in the comedy scene around, you know, in the same breath as like Groundlings and Second mm-hmm. City. People would come out and see us. And that's when I got the audition for uh, Who's Line. And so, you know, like James Brown said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready for every musical review that I did, for every show that I danced in in Las Vegas, and every um, impersonation show, every, um, I was a lounge singer in Tokyo, and then I did, did, did sporadic TV and stage in the middle of that. Every gig, that's what made me ready. So when they said, hey, you wanna audition for Who's Line? I said, sure, can you do this? Yes, can you do that? Yes, can you do this? Yes, okay, hire. That was the pivotal moment. After a couple years of no's, that that was my big yes.
0: Yeah, I'm still stuck on Houseful of Honkies. That's that is a name.
1: <laughs> I was the only brother,
0: so it's gonna. Ask. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, hey, what are you gonna do? But I mean, the truth. I, I listen, and it got you. It got you to where you are now, and I love it. But you know, speaking of improv, I know you know that for me is. I think it's the same for a lot of people. That's how we really got to know you through, like, whose line is it anyway? I mean, that's that was my first real introduction to you. And mm-hmm. so, and it's interesting because I actually did an episode of this podcast a while ago about really breaking down the science behind uh, how improv, improvisation is great for creativity. Because, you know, people have done studies on this about how, you know, they've, they've, they've scanned brains while people are, like, playing music like just improv jazz like you know in, in like this machine and they see that there are parts of your brain like where your inhibition is like lowered and that just makes you feel less less self-aware less conscious of something and you're you're allowed to just let go and so for you what were what did you learn from improv what did you learn from because i know like even getting on the show is such a grueling process for a lot of people it's just so mm-hmm. much of like that that process of like vetting and casting is like really intensive so from that experience of of improv like what would you say you walked away with it like what what did you get from that process because it is i think it's improv is so valuable to the creative process in general
1: i walked away with a uh, superpower that i didn't know that i had to the degree that i had Hmm. because in, in that group there were seven of us when when we moved out you know we all have our roles. I would say that my my role is yeah. I think even at that point, I was always good at musical improv because I'm a songwriter and music is just it touches a certain point in your brain. You know, like talking about those scans. Um, I did one once. Oh, thing to see see the results. You know, those same areas are
0: highlighted when when you lie. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I mean that's what it kind of is. I mean, you are technically like you're making something up. Right, so. like you have to be
1: able to pull pull these pieces of information to form a fabric of imagination.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I was always good at the song stuff and I could do characters but in the group I would lay back in the cut because it wasn't my group. These guys wanted to be Second City. They Mm -hmm. wanted to be SNL. I wanted to be on stage because it was good stage time and I loved being with my friends. But the sketch improv piece was never as important to me because I always wanted to be on Broadway. I always wanted to be on a TV show. I always had the words, you know, the, in quotes, the, the, as a legitimate actor doing the things that you're trained for and loving Shakespeare and having gotten to do that in musicals. I was like, well, this is what, what I do. So it's cool that we do this thing. So I don't think of it as my purview really, mm-hmm. but I'll go along with it and it's fun to do on stage. So I never really gave myself the permission to own it. It wasn't until I got Who's Line, and then it wasn't until the, after the first season of Who's Line, when I was thrown into it, and and you're on stage, scared, absolutely shitless. Just like when I say frightened, when those lights hit me the first time, when, when the music went, welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway, the show where the points don't matter, and, and, here's your kid. and then I saw my face in the monitor, Wayne Brady, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> And I knew it, but then after I got over that, I was like, okay, look, you have two choices. You can stand here and look like that, or you can just go
0: Hmm.
1: and talk about those inhibitions. I've never been that person who in real life, I'm not super gregarious. I like to, I'm very low key. I like to be by myself. I like to read or I play my music, or I do games or whatever the thing is, I've always been, you know, here but that tapped into that button that went, you now have to go Super Saiyan and <laughs> be this other thing. Right. And I never really tapped into that before until that show. And it's an amazing thing that when someone, when someone gives you permission to do something, when, when you really should be giving yourself the, per, the permission and the space, but when someone goes, oh yeah, you know, Wayne's really good at this. You go, oh yeah, Wayne's really good at this. You know, Wayne's really dope at making those songs up. Yeah. Wayne's really dope at making those. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as that show went on, I gained a confidence and a skill level that I'd never had because I never invested in it. And then once I started investing in it, then I started going, okay, well, if I'm going to be doing this show and if I'm going to be known for this thing, I just don't want to be a guy that does it. I want to be the, the benchmark. That if you go, oh, improv music or improv, you need to mention my name. Right. So that's what I started working towards. I said the only way that that will happen is if I become a student of this craft. So I'm not just going to do improv. I- I'm going to learn to break it down and see what works for me. What is this method? How can I always do it consistently? Which is a bit of an oxymoron with improv because you are supposed to fail. Mm. Improv is based on failure. Dell Close, the... the um, some some would say the godfather of improv said that it's based on on failure. So the audience is waiting for you to not succeed. And they say, hey, y- you and I are gonna do a scene as two guys stuck on the space shuttle and you can only speak and rap. As soon as the host gives that out, the audience goes, uh-oh, mm-hmm. oh my God, Margaret, because I don't know how he's... going. <laughs> A space shuttle. What does that even look like? And in rap, you have to have a cold cup. They aren't going to do it. They're not.
0: Do
1: it. So that's where they start off right from the get go. And then the other part of the audience is going, "Let me see, space shuttle um, rebuttal." Uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to get to that rhyme before he does. Mm. In that split second, you have to be able to pull up your computer screen in your head. I go, space shuttle, space, troposphere, gravity, uh, centrifuge, space suit, uh, the the MREs, uh, Tang, uh, Boots, uh, John Glenn, all of that has got to hit you in that second. And now we start doing the scene and now I've got to listen to you. Right. So it taught me all of those skills that you sometimes do innately, but I would try to sit as I'm doing it. I'm going, Okay. This is what I'm doing. This is why I can pull that word and make this thing happen. Okay, I've got a rhyme towards the end of the joke. So if I'm doing a hoedown about a woman, um, they they say that uh, that it's about a cobbler. Um, so what's okay? Okay, about what, 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 what? Uh, shoes, I gotta do some of the song and then about shoes, I got four lines to get the shoes, I'll set it up. Oh, oh, like Jay, Jay said in that one song, you know, about zapatos, it's zapatos, that's actually the Spanish word for shoes. I'll make my song about a Spanish chick named Rosa. Rosa couldn't, I got it. And then that that's the process that has to happen so
0: I, <laughs> the I, smoke would be coming out of my ears at that point because i feel like my brain cannot process like that no, smoke
1: was coming out of my my brain, but <laughs> you just couldn't see it because i was moving too fast and dissipating smoke um imp- improv is a controlled free fall and and you're going to land at some point it, it all depends on how you land
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's the, that's the methodology that i've adopted and now that i've reached a point where now at this place in my life i have a uh, we, my production partner and I you know were starting. We just had a show on for a season called Wayne Brady's Comedy IQ on a smaller network and it was basically a boot camp for kids because I've always said that kids think, thinking back to when I was a kid, kids have the most facile ability to play. What age do you lose that ability to play and say I can't? Right. How I help these kids learn to fire all that off? and I can show you the viewer, the process that I was just walking you through, I taught it to them. Mm. This is how I'm gonna teach you to do a song. This is how I'm gonna teach you to walk into a scene. This is how I'm gonna teach you to do all of these things. And our first season was successful and I used it as a blueprint because eventually now I'm pushing it out because I I wanna be able to work with corporate brands Mm. and also be able to work in the community of, of to be able to go into to places where maybe there are not a lot of brothers and sisters doing improvisation. Right. And I wouldn't expect someone maybe from, you know, <laughs> not to sound sound dismissive or weird, but you know, Jim from Second City, who's never stepped in a hood to go, hey guys, I'm I'm gonna teach you zip-zop. It's an <laughs> improv game. If <laughs> I were one of those kids, I would look at him like, you need to get your behind and turn. So I'd like to be that bridge, right? because my aim is to show them that just like you like your favorite rapper because when you hear him freestyle, he's making those, he or she is making those connections mm-hmm. and be able to story tell right off the top of, of their head. Let me teach you those skills, because ultimately, those skills can do for you what it did for me. And it did it for me as an adult. It yeah. gave me a sense of confidence, it gave me the ability to speak in public without fear. There's a certain thing that I have that I know if you throw me into any situation, I will something will come out of my mouth.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm always gonna promise that it'll be the most brilliant thing.
0: I was gonna but, say what? <laughs> what exactly will come out? But something will come out of my mouth.
1: And the best thing is I now have a, a confidence that. Something will come out of my mouth and maybe the first thing won't be the best thing. But that second and third thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. right. So, so those are life skills. Being, being able to do improvisation has taught me life skills. It's, being, it's taught me to walk in my own skin. Being one of the improvisers of color that, that has a notoriety has taught me to walk in my own skin, to claim something. Mm. There was a time when people would say, oh yeah, you know, Wayne, Wayne is the improv guy. I'm sure. I was like, no, 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 I'm more than just the improv guy. You need to cut that out right now. Hmm. I'm always trying to, to, to bob and weave so that I can't be defined or pinned down. And in doing so sometimes, don't push away your greatness. Yeah. Own it. So instead of going, no, no, I don't want to be known as that, go, thank you. But here are the nine other tools in the toolbox instead of pushing away acknowledgement of this thing. Because at at the end of the day, it is a skill. It is a hard-earned skill. It is a creative muscle that has to be worked and nurtured. And it's valued by some people because not everyone can do it. So to be able to go into a school... Where they haven't been taught that in their theater, theater class and say, I, I want to give you this gift. Um, I want to help you be able to walk in yourself because you, you can think this way. You can think on your feet. That, that's a joy. So mm. that's part of where I'm definitely moving, moving my life and my career to right now.
0: We're going to take a break. And when we're back, Wayne explains how he manages to do so much without burning out and how he breaks free from creativity paralysis this episode of creative control is brought to you by verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com There are so many amazing multi-hyphenates out there right now but i think it's very easy for the audience to Always see you as that one thing, especially if that was like the big thing that you kind of broke broke into the industry with because You know, I'm I'm sure that there are still some people who don't know that you had, you know A really good R&B album like a long time coming. It was really good There's a lot of people who don't know the who may not know that you do, you know Amazing like spots on TV. Like I feel like there's some people who just know you for like one like just oh, he's the host Oh, he's improv. And so How do you I guess like how do you work around that in your head? I want to hear a little bit more about You know how do you process that and did you ever feel pressure to pick something because i think some people would say like you know why can't you just like focus on that one thing when you're you know you're so spread out in such a good way i think it's a great thing but did you ever feel that pressure to just pick quote unquote pick a lane
1: never because the thing is and this is a lesson that like at the beginning of the conversation i said said that it's a thing that is still going and still learning and still evolving i'm 48 years old and I've been on TV since I was 26 and I've been acting since I was 16. And I've been hearing the same thing all my life. But my answer to those people that say, well, why don't you just do one thing? Or an interviewer that goes, okay, Wayne, if you had to pick one thing to do, no, I wouldn't. But if you, no, I wouldn't. Because the answer is, if I were to pick one thing and I'm looking at myself objectively what you have to do in your business. And I'm sure that you, you and your business, I think one of the best, one of the strongest skills that a professional can have is to step outside of yourself and look at yourself as a product. And so sometimes you have to do R and D on yourself. Hmm. Sometimes you have to do a focus group. And sometimes then you have to take the information from that focus group and go, that's cool that you think that, but nah, I'm going to stick with this model right now. So in building this performer that is weighing over all these years, the thing that I've learned is if I were to just pick one, like you say, ma'am, from, from this magazine. I was going to say, I Don't put it on me. I wasn't asking you to pick one. <laughs> so let's say that I just, I'm just going to do X. Then you would never have known me. Yeah. Then we, then, then we'd cause a break in the space time continuum and you would never know me because I came to light on whose line when when people say, Why don't you pick one? When you saw me,
0: mm.
1: I was improvising, I was singing, I was dancing, I was doing characters, I was acting all in that. But I've got a favorite saying of saying people like what they like. Mm-hmm. And to fight that because I fought it for so long and, and and I got tired and I thought, okay, why is it that some people say, after all these years, you know, I love that episode that you did with Richard Simmons. That was, that was when, that was like in the first couple years of Whose Line? And I know that I've had a storied career past that point. And in some ways, Whose Line was the breakout thing, but I've won multiple Emmys for my game show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've won Emmys for, as, as a songwriter during the day, daytime. I'm a Broadway star. I've done things. So, but that one person, that's the thing that they know. People like what they like. You can't be angry at it. You have to accept the fact that, okay, that's the thing you saw. And I'm in that block for, for you. Thank you. That's what I would say. That's why when you see a sitcom star from the nineties or somebody get mad when, when they're, they're, they're approached and I get it. That's unfair. It sucks. You know, I look at someone like just off the top of my head, like Jaleel White or Alfonso mm-hmm. Rivera. I know both of those cats. So smart. So good at what they do. Alfonso is an amazing director. Mm-hmm. Jaleel is a writer. They're both brilliant comedians, but because they came into our homes and our hearts, they will forever be Urkel and um, and Carlton. Mm-hmm. No matter what they do, and they've both done a lot, especially Alfonso, done so many things. I've always found that unfair, but I get that people like what they like. So what what I so the thing that I do to avoid that syndrome is I accept it and go. I'm so glad that you love Who's Lying and you love that thing. Also, try watching this. Try watching that thing. Or, because I'm not going to hit everybody up on Twitter that says that because I got stuff to do, <laughs> just keep moving. And, and accept the fact, go, you know what? That's pretty cool. That's, that's cool that someone has rocked with something that I've done for so many years, and they like that thing. And I'm blessed, more so than some of the people that find themselves in, in that spot, because I've kept it moving because I am a multi-hyphenate. I, I could have been pigeonholed right after Whose Line Is It Anyway ended the first time and just stuck there, but I was able to go off and do and be blessed to do so many other things that were creative, but I did that because I had to be the motor that kept me moving so I wouldn't get stuck in you know, Amber for, mm-hmm. for their, their vision of what my career is. And at the end of the day, I am the person responsible for that. I need to keep it moving always. That's why I'm always doing something else. That's why I can't stay in my lane because as far as I'm concerned, I'm on a four lane highway and I'm going to take up every single lane when it suits me, because that's how you know me, whether you know that or not.
0: Right. And to jump on that metaphor, how do you keep Everything from crashing together because I think one thing that is always worth mentioning is that so often you're doing all of these things You're doing multiple things at once like you have a hosting gig like, you know, you may have you know when Broadway is open Yeah, yeah, open again soon like, you know doing a Broadway show you're doing like this You're doing you acting gigs like there's so many things happening at once. And so for you How do you successfully juggle all of that? Cause I know a lot of people say like, you know, there's like a myth to multitasking that it's not really a thing that we all should just focus on that one thing that we're doing at that one time. But I mean, for you as someone who is, who has his, his hands in everything and so many things driving those four lanes, like how do you make sure you keep it all going smoothly and there's no crash?
1: (laughs) Well, I think because I'm lucky enough that each thing is so different. Hmm. And true, maybe you can't multitask specifically, but I do think in life, I'm so lucky that so many of the things that I love to do have some common thread, even if they're vastly different. Okay, so the year and a little bit ago, when I won Masked Singer, I was doing Masked Singer and rehearsing for that during the day and then shooting, and I was shooting Let's Make a Deal at the same time and I was doing touring dates. And how do I do it at the same time? I mean, to to me, it's a very simple answer. You make it work. (laughs) You're lucky if you have a job, to have multiple jobs, you make that work. You make your team make it work for you. And you, as as the individual, you set your mind right. Because it's a blessing to be able to have those multiple opportunities. So, and I love it. I love the fact that I was singing and doing this thing and it was a secret and then I'm going to do Let's Make a Deal and then right after that, then I went to go do Black Lightning and I'm a superhero mm-hmm. and punching out people and flying and levitating and then, and then I come back to Let's Make a Deal and then I'm releasing my single and doing that. That's what I thrive on. That flashback to that young Wayne sitting in his bedroom in Tangelo Park reading books and, and tape, tape recording himself. That was his dream. So the multitasking is not an issue for me. I think the only thing that makes it ever an issue is time. Actual uh, allocation of that one one resource. But if there's a will, there's a way, and sometimes it works out. I mean, I'm lucky enough that even during this pandemic, I was shooting things and doing commercials out, out of my own house. And I shot my, my piece of the BET Awards here when I did a little Richard tri- mm-hmm. tribute. <laughs> And I shot a music video, and we did this thing, and then I got back to work on Let's Make a Deal, and 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 now recently, I just was cast in in a pilot for the, the for mm-hmm. Showtime, American Gigolo, um, with John Bernthal. So so I was juggling that as I'm doing Let's Make a Deal, and going back and forth, and now I'm getting ready to to uh, to release my 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 new record. Mm. It is all a blessing. That is the thing. It is all a blessing. You make it work. You mm-hmm. have to make it work.
0: And so do you ever feel burnout? Because the thing like I there's there's so much of what you just said that resonates with me because I feel the exact same way. Like in 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 the field of journalism, it's like the the media industry is like really, really rough. And so I'm just grateful that I have a full time job. And I'm also grateful that I have a lot of freelance work that I do, you know, ghostwriting novels and like, you know, working on other projects, you know, that are that are really amazing. And I'm so, so, so grateful for all those outlets. But there are times where I'm just like. I feel so burnt out like I feel like I love what I do and I don't want to complain about it because you know Again, some people aren't so lucky and I can honestly say that I genuinely love what I do and I'm thankful for it But also I really like sleep and that's something that um, is just not in the cards often So for you, I mean, do you ever suffer from that burnout even if even if it is even if you're doing things that you love?
1: I think you suffer from burnout or, or at least not you or anybody but globally, myself. When I've experienced burnout in the, in the past, it was specifically because I didn't let myself take care of myself. So it's great to have all these mm. projects, but you know what? Find find your space to sleep. Yeah. Eat Eat well. Take care of yourself. Because if you don't, then all of the balls that you're juggling will fall because you're too weak to juggle. And that's a lesson that I learned years ago when I was doing my first um, doing my doing my variety show on ABC and I was doing a bunch of other projects and I was the head writer and I was an EP and I'm doing this and da, da da And I crashed and I didn't know why. And I and I had to be taught, hey, take care of your body. Because if you take care of your body, especially for what I do. So for me, the the burnout. I can't even let it be an option. So I've had to start taking care of myself. And that's how I found and, and working with those tools, I I might go to therapy. That's something that, that I'm an advocate of because I feel that also helps you not uh, short yourself out and get burnt out.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And for you, I mean, you mentioned that improv had such a, you, you, you wanted to. He had such like a, a your site set on Broadway and being an actor. Then improv kind of came along as something like you're you're like oh you know this is great. I love this. I can do this. I mean, was it the same for hosting? Because I feel like in parallel to like improv, we also know you as this as one of like the greatest hosts of modern time. I mean, you've done so many hosting gigs. You even have one, uh, one coming up like Game of Talent. So it's kind of like for you, I guess like what what about hosting? like really connected with you. Cause I feel like you've really made it. You're such a great host because you make it your own. It's kind of like, you know, you have this, you have this show, this general concept for a show or whatever, but it still feels very, you. Uh, there's so much of you in it. And I yeah. think that that's really what makes you such a great host. So I feel like what, what is hosting to you in that sort of, in your Thanos glove of all the, all the jewels that you've <laughs> collected, all the infinity, infinity stones that you've collected. Like what does hosting mean to you?
1: Hosting, you know, it's such an interesting thing because I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday randomly for, for some reason. I, just like the improv thing, I ran away from hosting as well because I didn't look at it, especially when I started hosting, when I started hosting my talk show back in two, 2001. I never wanted to be seen as just a dot, dot, dot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Never wanted to be just a. So, when the show was doing well and I was like, oh no, folks are gonna look at me as just a talk show host. Because then the rules were a little tighter. That if you were doing a show or doing what that's what you did. You can't be on other shows, you can't do things. And and then, Lord forbid, like when I jumped forward to when I did my first game show, Don't Forget the Lyrics. Mm. I know that I was that at first there there were a couple other black comics that wanted a clown and had something to say about, ah, corny and hosting a game show. All I have to say to that is, if you look a few years later, especially after the reboot of Let's Make a Deal, when it was proven that this could be a valid thing and it was a moneymaker and da-da-da, look at the game show hosts on TV and and tell me how many brothers are doing that job. Yep. So... That was a really interesting thing. I tried to run from it at first, but but I realized that what makes me I, I think I'm a good host, what makes me a good host is is what you just said. I make it my own. I'm not trying to be a host. I think as soon as you try to be a host, you're a bad host, and that's what i ran ran from mm-hmm. because I, I feel it's the same thing as soon as you try to be I'm a journalist <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. right
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> then you're a bad journalist i when when i think game game show hosts some of the you know ones that i've grown up with when i think you think of someone hi and welcome to blah blah blah, or the news guy and in today's news ooh, you're a parody Mm -hmm. i wanted to be the dude who was just wayne who can make you laugh and i'm just me and, uh, and e- even the verbiage that you know you read during a game show, sure, I will give you the rules of the game and whatnot, but I'm going to have fun with you. All I can be is me. Right. So I'm going to do that. And even then, folks are like, oh, we'll ask Wayne to host everything. It's like, no, I don't want to host all this stuff. I'm going to host this thing because it's a good job, but I also need the bandwidth to do the other things that I am passionate about. But the cool thing is eventually came around that I am passionate about hosting. I'm passionate about Let's Make a Deal now. I'm passionate about the show that it's become, especially in the past few years, and especially during this pandemic, to be a show that brings such love and laughter and makes people feel good. That's something that 26-year-old Wayne, when I started, would have never understood because it was just about, I need to do this job and do it the best I can. And, and I don't want to do that thing. I want to do this thing. Now I understand that my job can be a passion and the passion can be creative, but it can also be the feeling that it brings to other people. Right. So that's been a really great place to reach in my life.
0: And to that point, I mean, this is, that's a perfect segue into the question I always love to ask my guests at the end of the conversation is how have you come to define creativity at this point in your career?
1: At this point, creativity is, and I want to say this without it sounding like one of those signs that people put up in their apartments, you know, uh, <laughs> right next
0: to like, live, laugh, love
1: <laughs> is God's open door.
0: <laughs> Go inside. Whatever you say, I'm going to put it on this brick wall. So choose okay. your words wisely. So,
1: <laughs> you know, uh, to me, and I have to stress it that way, creativity is the freedom to make not only what makes other people happy, but to make what makes you happy. And if those two things happen to coincide, then you've hit the lotto. Mm. So okay. be free to create, because I think that what we end up doing, especially in show business, where there's a lot of money on the line, is people create, whether it's a songwriter, whether it's a studio, whether it's a writer for a TV show, whether it's a game show, It's a bit, we all create with, this thing has got to be the next big hit. It's going to be amazing. And, and, and I hope hope that they enjoy it. And then the people's enjoyment and the happiness sometimes it goes oh. right. So hates themselves afterwards. So I've just just said, you know, especially with this, this production company that we have, he said, let's create shows that we would watch. And let's create shows that would that will move the needle. So even in the creation of them, we're going to have fun and be joyful. And then guess what? And then if it works, and somebody buys it and becomes a thing, then 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 it's the lotto. But even if it doesn't get to that point, then I'm still happy with it. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, we've done a good job at being at being free and being happy. We have a show called um, Barstow AF that uh, we are co-producing with Jerry Bruckheimer and his his company uh, JBTB that we uh, created about a about a young Polynesian kid. Uh, who happens to be gay, who moves from from Hawaii to to the town of uh, Barstow, and has to completely hide who who he is oh, wow. to 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 make it in the world. Right. But there's a whole whole other dope dope story. So so we've got that, and and a and a couple of the projects that all all speak to either people of color or to the LGBTQ plus plus community hmm. because we said anybody can just make a sitcom and then oh we're we're roommates i'm sleeping with this one (laughs) (laughs) why don't we try to make something that can actually make make you laugh and move move the needle for change so so that's what i define as as creativity to freedom to to create and and hopefully the outcome will make you happy and then make other
0: people happy i love that the, the freedom to create. Yeah, I'm going to stencil that on this wall. Thank you so much for that. I was looking for some words of well, wisdom. <laughs> Wayne, this was wonderful. Because you've got to give yourself the freedom,
1: right? Hey, that, there yeah, you like, go. You, you have to say, yes, you can. Because if not, because I did that for so many years. That's why I like TikTok. Yeah. Because I know, know they're wrapping up, but I'll say that's why I like TikTok. Because for so many years... I looked at YouTube creatives mm-hmm. and people on other platforms are like, that's not real creativity because you're not on a network. <laughs> you have to, you have to write up the outline, and then we have to pitch it, and then it has to be bought, and then it has to be this, and we have to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, cats at home are like, Really? Hey, me and my three friends, we just wrote this show in my backyard. Here, here it goes. Cut to 17 million people later liking it.
0: Mm-hmm. And we go, oh,
1: Because they gave themselves the freedom to be creative and just go. Right. That's what I started doing. That's why I like TikTok. That's why I like Instagram. I said, you know what? I want to do a video right now in my sweats and do something funny or sing a song. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I'm just going to do it. And -hmm. then it ends up being the best version. The first draft of your TikTok or the first draft of your script, the first draft of a sketch, the novel, it's going to suck unless you are some otherworldly genius. But you'll never get to the version that is good if you never do the first one. And I found myself paralyzed for a few years. Even as a songwriter, I didn't make music for years because it's like, well, no one wants to hear my music and I don't know if I can blah, 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 blah. blah. So I wouldn't give myself the permission to be open and right.
0: Hmm.
1: I wouldn't give myself the permission to have fun. And then doing improv on tour stopped being fun. Because I wasn't giving myself the license of being fun it was just a job and uh, I couldn't find the joy in it again and once I locked in and found that joy everything became joyful hmm. so if I have to impart one word of advice to in, anyone watching you have to let yourself have fun you can't wait for for the creative police to come knocking at your door and tell you that you can. You are a free citizen.
0: Go. <laughs> when have the police ever said anything free? But that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go there. That's okay. But I completely agree. This has been such a fantastic conversation. I I'm not even kidding. Like I I feel like I'm cuz I like to uh most of these questions it's like oh you know, i'm kind of asking for a friend but i'm really asking for myself because like <laughs> you know like that's that's why i love doing this podcast because it really is like an exploration of all the things that i'm trying to work through you know as as being a quote-unquote creative in the modern age so you know to, to to hear all these pearls of wisdom from you know the like a veteran the master i really i, I really really appreciate it so thank you wayne oh oh it's my pleasure really Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to leave a review with any comments or feedback you have, because I love hearing from all of you. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. See you soon.